MNK Talk YA now presents The Wicked King, Part 1 of the Folk of the Air Trilogy by Holly Black. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in the Folk of the Air trilogy by Holly Black. This book is called The Wicked King, and we read up to chapter 17, if you're following along. I can never remember the name of the series, The Folk of the Air. I always have to look it up when I, well, the one time I've so far I've <laughs> done the intro. It's not a bad title. Is that just another word for fairies? I guess, but like we don't refer to them as the folk of the air in the book at all, so it doesn't like register. Like I, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Did you read the short story? Did you find it by the way? I didn't find it. Okay. Journey to the Impossible Land. Is that what you said? Yeah, it was something like that. It was about who is the ally whose name started with an R in the last book. Hmm. I can't remember his name. Lord Ra. Oh. Do you know who I'm talking I'm about? I'm thinking of Ruibos, like the T. I know that's not right. I, well, whatever his name is, it's about his lover who is living in New York when all this <laughs> stuff is going down. And he's like, come to this coronation with me, of course, not knowing what's going to happen. And she like observes Cardin from afar. and st- I mean, it's short, but it's kind of, it's still fun. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. And, well, I'm going to spoil it. It's really short and it doesn't really, if you've already read the first book, it's nothing like new information, but she gives him, she, as a joke, she gives Cardin the I rule mug. <gasps> that we saw in this book. It's, yeah, it makes an appearance in this book. So I just thought that was funny to see it come back around. Lord Roy but. Ben. Yeah, that guy. I okay. think it was him at least. He had like a... The Court of Termites, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's who it was. I'm trying... I read it like right after we got off the call last time, but I think that's who it was. And his girlfriend slash whatever, <laughs> she has like fairy wings, but she grew up... She didn't know she had fairy blood, so she like grew up in the human world at first. Oh. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, I think she was like a, you know, the changelings or whatever, where they took a human kid and left the fairy kid behind. Yeah. I think that's what she was actually. Yeah. So she's just got an interesting perspective of it all. And, and he's like such a feared character, but she only knows him as from a romantic standpoint and is sort of like, I don't get why everyone's so afraid of him. <laughs> so I found a short story called The Lost Sisters. Ooh, I haven't seen that one yet. And it's about... Taryn falling in love with Locke. Oh, I definitely want to read that. Yeah. Maybe I'll try harder to find that one and you can find this one and we can share them for next week. I know. I wish we lived closer and I could just like be like, here, borrow the yeah. back of my book. Oh, that would be really nice. You might have to break into a Barnes & Noble again. and <laughs> <laughs> I totally did do that. Is it short <laughs> enough that I could just like cre- creepily read it in the stacks? I think so, yeah. I feel like it was like pretty quick. What's it called again? A Journey to the Impossible Land? Yeah, A Visit to the Impossible Lands. And it was, so I had a copy of The Cruel Prince that had the intro to The Wicked King in the back, and then behind that was the short story. So I don't even know how I happened to notice it, because I didn't read the preview. But yeah, it was like five pages or something, I think. It was pretty quick. Well, it was not in mine, and I resent that, but that's okay. (laughs) I know, I feel like all the short stories should just be easy to access. I know, just publish them online. (laughs) 
just send them to my brain. Okay, should we talk about this book? Yes. Okay, The Wicked King, part one. (laughs) (laughs) We left off, just to recap, with everything up in the air, (laughs) or changing at least at the last minute. Pretty much, Jude has crowned, or Oak has crowned Cardin King. Mm -hmm. Against his will. Vivi has taken Oak away, right? And now Cardin is bound to Jude for a year and a day, but that time is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Balakan is in prison. Maddox is resentful that Jude tricked him, but also kind of impressed. And yep. Taryn is marrying Locke. And they're still not talking. Yeah. I mean, they're sort of tiptoeing around a reconciliation, but I do not trust that Taryn at all. She is up to something. Yeah. I guess at the beginning of the book, they weren't talking. And they didn't talk for like five months or something, right? I know, Isn't yeah. that how much time had passed? Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. And we're still just in this dark, twisty world where, oh, I love this, there's kind of this reoccurring theme where Jude reflects back on a lesson that she learned in childhood about, like, it's one thing to gain power, it's another thing to hold on to it, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of where we're at right now, where she's struggling to maintain the power that she's kind of grabbed as the puppet master behind Carton, and there's a lot of threats around. Yeah, and she really has to stay, like, one step ahead of everyone, and there are so many players with their own agenda that like it's almost an impossible task right Locke is up to something Maddox is up to something the queen of the undersea is up to quite a lot yes and she just has to like maintain the control that she has and you can kind of see it like slowly starting to unravel because she has some allies but not true friends I would say I agree so it's sort of like as long as their interests align she can kind of rely on them but there's no one that she like 100% trusts or can you know help carry the load really and also she's got this human thing working against her where she like gets hungry and tired differently than the fairies right (laughs) yeah She's got some human needs. Or was it just that her stomach growls? I wasn't sure if she was like, (laughs) if they also get hungry and tired or if that was like a human problem. I think it is. Yeah. But I mean, and she also has someone who has betrayed her and she doesn't know who it is. You just know that someone close to her has already betrayed her. And that is not a nice feeling to have, I'm sure. Yeah. Who do you think it is? I think it is one of the people in the Court of Shadows, either Roach or Ghost or Bomb. Because Otherwise, it's like, all right, Maddox kind of has already betrayed her. Taryn has already betrayed her. So I don't think it's one of them. I don't think it's Vivi. I mean, Cardin is too obvious. So is Nicasia. I, I just feel like it has to be someone she trusts right now. And the only people she like fully trusts are the Court of Shadows people. I was going to say, it's it's hard to say someone betrayed you if you weren't expecting much from them in the first place. So Right. Yeah. I think that's a fair guess. We're also learning a little bit more about her background and parents. Yeah, so when she goes to visit Balakin in the um, Tower of Forgetting, which is a great name. It is a great name. (laughs) She sees this fairy woman who's like, hey, I knew your mother, Ava, and she has secrets. That's just like, you know, a brief summary. And While grabbing her ankle and knocking her down the stairs and (laughs) in the dark, but yeah. And we ultimately find out more about her identity. Right. Oh my goodness. So we hear from someone that um, Cardin's mother was a lover of the king and he would like keep her in a secret chamber in his house, essentially. And we find out that 
that woman in prison is Cardin's mom, and she knew Jude's mom. Yeah, but I still have so many questions, because we don't really know why she was locked up in the first place, right? Right, but we know that Cardin likely knows that she's in the tower and, like, doesn't care that she's there, because Jude, again... Yeah, because he could get her out if he wanted to at this point. Right, because Jude, at the end, is like, I want you, I want to take this woman out of prison to see what she knows about my mother, but what's her name? Asha is Cardin's mother. She said... I'll, I'll tell you what you want, but you can't let Cardin know that I'm out of the tower, and I also want Freed and to be sent far away. So why was she put in the tower? And Jude's really playing her a little bit, which makes me nervous. Yeah. And yeah, Cardin and the mom have a weird relationship, because we also see that flashback, the like photo video camera ball or whatever. I don't know what oh, you call yeah. it. Oh, yeah. In a crystal. <laughs> the home video ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was so funny that his dad had these home video things essentially is what it reminded me of Mm -hmm. but they were so dark or at least that one was where Cardin is like being ignored by his mother and then hurting another child and getting recognition for that basically (laughs) right you can tell why he turned out to be such a piece of work yeah but we also learned that she didn't really care for him like she left and like left him to be raised on on like a cat milk or something like that oh yeah (laughs) But I'm also curious how much, because we were also finding out that while fairies can't lie, there can still be, like, misinformation that gets passed around or exaggeration and things like that. So I'm kind of curious if everything we know is actually true or if some of it is legend, too. True, because Asha also says that the reason that Jude's mom left fairy was because someone told her that the child, she would have a child and it would be a greater weapon than her than Justin, her dad, could ever forge. And oh, so yeah. some they ostensibly she left because she thought when she was pregnant with Vivi that Vivi was the child who would be a weapon, so she, like, left to protect her. But I feel like it's probably Jude yeah. who they were talking about. Well, and that partially answers the question, but not fully, of why her mother and father left together. That kind of explains maybe why the mom left, but not why she got together with the dad. Yeah, true. Unless that was our... I mean, I just feel like there's still more to that story that we don't fully know yet. I'm sure there is. And, yeah, should we talk about the underworld plot? Yeah. The undersea (laughs) is coming to get you. Oh, yeah, undersea. Water. Whatever. So, what is the mom's name? Orla. Or, is that right? Orla? Nikesi's mother? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Orla. Okay. So, she's trying... So, basically, it's been revealed that whoever Cardin marries also becomes royalty, and once you're royalty, you're royalty. So, Mm -hmm. there's not, like, an option to... You know, it's not like, oh, as long as your husband is still royal, you're still royal kind of thing. It's like, you're you're in. So there's a good reason why Jude doesn't want anyone in that spot because she's trying to keep it for Oak for just a few years. And it's also a good opportunity for other people to try and claim some power. So we, the first time we see that is with this random old lady and her daughter oh, right. who try to trick him or something. <laughs> Mother Marrow! With a piece of cloth and... But, like, okay, so I was kind of confused by that, but it's because we didn't hear the whole thing play out, right? Right. She was, like, leading into this thing and then got called on it, and then she still revealed what the end goal was. Yeah, it's like if he had accepted the cloth that she was going to give him, he would have been bound by a geese that would have forced him to marry either her or her daughter. Yeah, (laughs) which is so funny. And this is why I don't like fairies. I don't understand the rules. Like, (laughs) how is that even possible? I don't know. And then from there, Orla is like, hey, you 
should marry my daughter, but not that nicely. She's basically threatening everything if he doesn't marry her daughter. And her daughter wants to marry him, kind of, because she, or, or, <laughs> she still has feelings for him, I guess I should say. There's still romantic interest. She sure does, because she tried to shoot his lover with the oh, crossbow. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a ton. Yeah, the undersea shows up at the Hunter's Moon party or whatever, and they basically say that, like, if they if they spurn them once, they'll steal their blood, and then if they spurn them twice, like it's going down, and they're gonna take the crown from them essentially. Yeah, and so and we we weren't sure how Card would respond to this, right? But he doesn't like being threatened either. It seems like I don't think anyone does. <laughs> Shocking. But the problem is when they said we'll steal your blood, they think that Orla is referring to Oak. Because Oak is coming back with Vivi for Taryn's wedding, which I think is a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, you you took him out of fairy for a reason. I know he's probably not completely safe in the mortal world, but like, why is he coming back? Just leave the kid in the mortal world shopping at Target. It's been five months. Things aren't really settled. Let's wait. <laughs> There's also a lot about that, though, with him being growing up in fairy who was she talking to was it ghost that she was talking to and or was it someone else and it was sort of this conversation about what it's like to leave your home when you're so young and be raised somewhere else and can you really truly relate to or like come home after that and what does that mean for him as a future king if he's gone now and gone for the next seven or eight years or whatever it is yeah like how will he be able to rule fairy yeah but also he does need a chance to be a child I agree, and I don't like that Maddox wants to, like, use him as bait now to, like, see if Orla is serious about kidnapping him. That seems like that's what the plan is, right? Yes, but I also trust that he's not, he doesn't want anything to happen to Oak. Yeah, I agree. Like, in terms of, it's better for him if he eventually takes power, but I don't trust Maddox at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't really trust anybody. No, and it's so, like, the secret alliances are so hard to keep straight, too, because it's, like... Cardin's mom is, like, passing info to Balakin, and, like, Jude wants Cardin to seduce Nicasia now to find out more about what her mother's planning, and, like, there's just so many alliances. I'm having trouble keeping them all straight. I know, we need, like, a map, or we mm-hmm. need that strategy board that Maddox has yeah. with the little figurines and stuff. Do you think Jude will reconcile with Maddox? I think that over the course of this series, they will come together and then go apart at least once more. Okay. Because, like, he clearly wants her on his side, I feel like. And I don't know if it's because he just wants to control her or if he's genuinely afraid of her newfound power. Well, I think there is still some of that familial relationship there where even if he doesn't love the same way, like, a human father would love their child, he, you know, there's some connection there and and whatnot. But I also think the trust is gone. So, and he's ultimately... even before this, is kind of like a selfish, power-hungry guy. So I could see, as long as their interests align, them kind of working together. But I also see one or the other betraying... I kind of think he'll betray her next. And then maybe they'll still come together at the end. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. Because she kind of still has the one up on him, you know? Like, she still is the one who tricked him, and he hasn't really recovered from that, I don't think. So do you think Cardin is going to marry someone? Oh my gosh, I am so confused about Cardin because I think that he genuinely loved Nicasia, but I think he is really starting to like Jude too. Like, even though they insist that they still hate each other, like, they just slept together and 
It's a very twisted form yeah. of strong emotion. Yes. He has this like definite obsession with Jude, but that's, that would be interesting because like, I feel like Cardin is still very angry with Jude for crowning him. And so yeah. I, I feel like he very likely could marry someone like out of spite to make it harder for Jude to give the throne to Oak. Like, he, he, he seems like the type of person who would, like, purposely try and foil her plans just for the sake of spoiling them to get even. But I also feel like they're setting it up to be, like, because her time over him is running out, but we know whoever's queen has power. What if she, like, tricks, or not tricks, commands him into marrying her, not even from a romantic standpoint, Whoa. but from a power standpoint? That would be super smart. I feel like that would be so smart. And I also feel like it would make their relationship really complicated still if it was not a... Oh, we're, you know, in love with each other and young love and we want to get married, but more of a trick and abuse of power thing. Because she could very, I mean, he's still under her command. She could order him to marry her, right? Right? Yeah. Oh, that'd be super smart. I feel like that, from a strategy standpoint, I've been expecting that since the uh, cloth thing happened. Um, But I almost think the more that we talk about it, the more I'm like, is that too obvious now? Or are they just... And then I was thinking, what if something happens where, like, I'm still waiting for Taryn and Jude to be mistaken more often or that to, like, get complicated or locked to mess with it? What if they're supposed to get married, but then he marries Taryn instead of Jude somehow? Oh, I don't know. I'm rambling. No, that could that could be it because we they did set that up whenever Taryn like shows up at Jude's house essentially, and she was like, "How did you get in here?" And she's like, "Oh, I pretended to be you." Yeah, and she was like, "Oh crap!" Like so they set that up. So I think you're right. That I bet that happens where they're mistaken for the other because well, unless it's like, do you think maybe so Taryn and Locke are getting married? Do you think that will actually happen or maybe like? Cardin decide, disguises himself as Locke and Jude disguises herself as Taryn and I don't know. I know. I don't know. I definitely don't trust Locke and I think he still wants to mess with things and that he's not truly devoted to Taryn. But I also feel like she wants the wedding to happen so much that it might still happen. I don't know. I hate Locke so much. I do too, but he's I kind of love hating him. I don't even like hating him. I think he's just like... He likes, he's the type of person who like loves drama and loves creating it because he's bored and he just wants to mess with people's lives. Yeah, but I also feel like he, he knows that about himself and presents himself that way. So I think it's almost kind of interesting to see how far he can go given that he's like already, like why do people keep giving him so much power? I don't leash, know. You know? Yeah. And I don't know what Taryn sees in him. Like why is she so content to be, she's like, oh, I don't care if he takes lovers, like. But I, I only feel, like, good about myself when he's near me. I'm like, ugh, girl, come on. And also, again, yeah, it's like, you deserve better. And he did all this stuff to your sister who yeah. you should have feelings for. It's not like you didn't know she existed. Like, he messed with some random person and then you found out they were your sister. Like, this is your twin who you have experienced this, like, crazy world with. And you watched this happen. And you're, like, mad at her for how it was handled, but she didn't do anything wrong because she didn't even know that you guys were seeing each other. Right, because you didn't tell her. Yeah. Yeah, I I really disliked her. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like her either. I keep wanting her to redeem herself, but I don't trust her at all. So even mm-hmm. these, like, small gestures she's made, I'm like, nope, don't let her in. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> right, yeah, she's definitely up to something. And especially knowing that she cares about Locke for whatever reason so much and that Locke likes to stir the pot. I feel like he could use her as a tool at any time, even if she... Absolutely. Like, I don't even think she thinks for herself, you know? Mm -mm. It's like she just wants to do whatever makes Locke happy to, like, prove how much she loves her, which is disgusting. 
Not that, like, Jude and Carden are really, like, the greatest example of (laughs) true love either, but... (laughs) No. But I bet something goes down at this wedding. It's like something big's gonna happen. Do you think Vivi will bring her girlfriend? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Why not? Because we, so far, we don't know if she's been told anything about Fairy yet, right? Right. I mean, that might be a lot to handle. (laughs) I know. I'm curious to see that reveal or how it's handled or what happens. Me too. I hope she, I hope she accepts it. (laughs) But that is a lot to ask of someone. It's not just like, come to my wedding and meet my weird family. Yeah. I hope that she ultimately does, but it's complicated. Well, and it's a lot of like, secret slash, maybe not lie, straight up lies, but it would just like, it's not just like, whoa, this is like a lot to take in. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not like she's been like telling her the truth and she's like, oh yeah, haha, your family's fairies. And then like sees it and is like, oh wow. Cause that would already be shocking, but it like hasn't even been like that (laughs) yeah that's gonna i'm i'm looking forward to that scene although they've already taken in her younger brother which is also an interesting i feel like i would have asked a lot more questions yeah i'd be like why does this kid have horns (laughs) that would be probably my number one question (laughs) why has he never been a target before yeah did you do any research this week i did a little bit so um we talked about Locke's meddling if you will and he's just been appointed master of revels so I looked up what a master of revel is, and <laughs> historically speaking, are there people who have that actual title? Yes. So what? master of the revels was a position in England back in I don't know. It started in like the 1300s um, until I think the 1700s or late 1600s, maybe. Yeah, the office continued until the end of the 18th century, although with reduced status. Mm. But so they. It kind of, like, grew, it kind of ebbed and flowed, like, what this title was responsible for, but essentially overseeing the royal festivities. Mm. But then they also had all these, they had all these, like, titles underneath them. So they had the great wardrobe, the armory, the ordinance, the mint, the works, the toils, and the tents, and a bunch of other, like, offices that, like, reported up through the revel's office, I guess. So it was, like, (laughs) some administrative department in the royal household. And they would, at first, I think they were just in charge of making sure that there was entertainment for, like, the royal court. And then... And, like, sort of kind of what's happening here, like, throwing banquets and dances and balls and acrobatics and whatever. I want that job. I know. It sounds pretty fun. And then it kind of grew into this thing where they started, basically, they were, like, the censorship board. Like, they were in charge of regulating and censoring performances in the 1500s. Hmm. So it, like, became... Because, again, plays and stuff were also how information was, like, shared and divvied up. So they sort of became, like, a pretty powerful role from what I understand in terms of, you know, what they could authorize or license and, like, the power they could give different theaters and playing companies. And uh, they were even responsible for, like, the stages and the costumes and, like, everything that went through it. So they, like, handled a lot of fashion and they had a huge influence on, like, what was fashionable or what was interesting or what was popular and things like that. Oh, I love that. And like Shakespeare himself, he had ha- he had to be licensed by the master of the rebels. So at huh. this time it was Edward Tilney. Um, so he'd like perform for them or perform for the guy at the t- Edmund Tilney at the time. And then the master rebels would perform like a review and basically 
So they were like critics. They could like remove something if it was objectionable or they didn't agree with like what they were saying or whatever. And like they would um, look through the script and all kinds of stuff. So it just, it was sort of interesting to realize that not only was it a real position, but it wasn't just this like fun and games position. It actually kind of had like a interesting set of power. Yeah, to like censor what was presented on the stage. That's pretty powerful. Right? And it was for a long time. So, but I I wanted to find a story of like how it started and I didn't really get a good example of that, although it I think it was originally related to the someone who was in charge of the royal wardrobe at first and then that like turned into like some of the big festivities and parties and then it like kind of split into its own thing down the road. But then I also I just, like, was clicking through things on, so I, I forget what I clicked on in between, but then I also found out about the Feast of Fools, hmm. which was in, this reminded me of what happened to Jude when she was, like, dressed up, and that used to be, like, a thing they would take a human girl and, like, glamour her and, like, dress mm-hmm. her in rags and, like, feed her disgusting stuff, but make her think it was, like, beautiful gowns and, and whatnot. That's what I thought it was going to be like, but the Feast of Fools was featured in uh the hunchback of notre dame quasimodo was like yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah but originally i guess it was like a christian thing actually and in certain parts of france it started in france there were like four different cities that did it originally basically the low-ranking priests or bishops or whatever would take on like for the day or for the festival like the role of pope or archbishop or whatever and like they'd kind of it would be like a switching of power within the group but then outside of the church all the regular townspeople basically like took this idea and went crazy with it and they would like dress as priests or different leaders in the community and like hide their faces and like it was a huge festival but it it was again this idea of like switching the power structure so they'd pretend to be the people in charge even though they weren't for the duration of this festival is that where like april fool's day comes from that's a good question it happened on new year's day but i don't know if it's connected to april fool's day or not Hmm. or if it like inspired it later on because it kind of would make sense that's what was my first thought yeah that's cool though yeah so it's just like reading about some it's just funny to think again about like like officialness of some of these ideas so yeah there was a master of revels for like hundreds of years (laughs) and there was a feast of fools where someone was crowned like pope for the day hopefully they didn't make them eat disgusting food though no they didn't trick them that way as far as i could tell (laughs) what about you did you research something more interesting so I was very interested in um, that scene too, where they say that, and they've mentioned this before, where anytime there's a celebration, the fairies are expected to dance through their shoes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of interesting because the fairies, like at any kind of gathering, have this like wild, chaotic dance that they do, and they said that humans, once they start, they can't stop. So like they will dance and dance and dance until they die, unless like one of the fairies pulls them out. That's why like Jude always has to go to the dance with Vivian. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) tried to research examples of when people dance so hard that they died. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I found something really interesting. I think you mentioned this in your research once before, but it's the dancing plague of 1518. Oh yeah. So I I, I did a little bit more research into it because I just thought this was so fascinating essentially there were episodes 
of dancing mania or choreomania that occurred throughout Europe in the 1300s through like the 1500s. And the most famous one... Back when they had a master of revels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The most famous one happened in the city of Strasbourg where there was one woman, her name was Frotz Trophia. She started dancing on July 14th and... She didn't have any musical accompaniment, but she just began to dance. And her husband was like, please stop. And she didn't. And she continued for hours until she danced for the entire day until she collapsed in exhaustion. But the next morning, she got up and started dancing again. And she... I forget. Did the did people, like, talk? Like, so her husband's like, hey, stop dancing. Did she say no? Or was she like, I can't? Or did she just ignore him and dance? Or do you know? I think she just ignored him and danced. That's crazy. So by the third day, people started joining her. So there were, like, people who just saw her dancing, like, decided to join in and, like, also became possessed by this mania. Then, like, enough people joined in and it was, like, a week into this dancing mania where, like, people were dancing through their boots and, like, blood was flowing from their feet and they were, like, glassy-eyed and some people were collapsing from exhaustion And so the authorities, like, pretty much freaked out. And so they were like, what is happening? And so at at one point, 30 people were dancing so so maniacally that physicians tried to intervene. And (laughs) they decided that they were possessed by a strange disease. And the only way to cure themselves of it was to dance free of it. (laughs) So they basically were like, something's in them. They're possessed. The only way is for them to dance it out of their system. So they built platforms. They built stages, essentially, to, like, contain the people who were dancing, who were, like, caught up in this mania. So they set up all of these stages, and then they um, hired musicians to come in to play drums and fiddles and horns. And they were like, okay, we're just going to set up a place for these people to dance. So... (laughs) Instead, it just completely backfired and like more and more people joined in until within a month, this dancing mania had seized 400 citizens. Oh my goodness. Can you just imagine? I'd be like, (laughs) what am I missing out on if I was walking down the street and everyone was like dancing? I don't know. So what they did was they decided that they had to be contained so they like bundled the people into wagons and took them to the shrine of saint saint vetus because that they think that's where the first woman was cursed um so they like took them back to this shrine and they like put crosses on them they doused them in holy water and basically people began to realize that if they were dancing they were going to be sent away and like packed off in wagons to the shrine so it diminished and it trickled down and eventually died out, but it lasted from mid-July to last to late August. But that makes it sound like they had mental control enough to be like, oh, I shouldn't dance anymore. Well, that's what's so interesting because they said at its height, as many as 15 people were dying every day. Oh my goodness. Because they were just dancing themselves to death. Is there any stories about afterwards, like people being like, this is what it was like or anything? me when I was dancing no I don't I don't think so but there were some hypotheses about why it happened because it wasn't just an isolated case there were a a string of them essentially that happened around the Holy Roman Empire and so the original hypothesis was that 
the woman just did it to piss off her husband (laughs) and that other women joined in. I'd be actually really impressed. I know, me too. (laughs) And then some people believed that it was caused by a mold found on damp rye. Um, So this mold is called ergo and it can cause, if you ingest it, I guess it can cause twitching, jerking, and hallucinations. They they call it St. Anthony's fire. Hmm. But that has been debunked because he said that this mold, the other symptom that it causes is uh, it restricts blood flow to your extremities. And so he was just like, someone poisoned with this mold could could not have danced for several days in a row. Gotcha. So the most widely accepted reason or hypothesis was something called stress-induced psychosis. So I guess... Um, is that contagious? No, it's, well, kind of. It's like a type of mania that takes hold of people, like almost like a crowd mentality, like as soon as one person does it, someone else joins in. So I guess if you are suffering immensely and you're under a ton of stress, there's some cultures around the world where people enter trances, and it's it's like usually part of a ceremony, and it's like during periods of extreme stress, they enter a trance and their perception of pain is diminished greatly. It's almost Mm. like um, kind of a coping mechanism, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so they were saying like around this time of the dancing plagues, like this hysterical dancing, I mean, there was like famine and there was political instability and syphilis, I guess, had just arrived or had, (laughs) you know, made a mark on people. Resurrection, yeah. And people were extremely stressed out and they said it could have been just an amalgamation of people being very afraid and very um, stressed out and it kind of manifested in this stress-induced fit almost. It's just so, I'm trying to picture what it would be like. It's the length of time, the number of people, the fact that they were, like, it's not like saying they were like twitching everywhere. It's saying they were dancing, which I'm just imagining to be more like, kind of like what you're saying with what's happening in fairy where maybe she wants to stop and can't, but like just almost, I don't know. I just, it sounds weird because it's like, why would people dance if they're stressed? But I guess there was a laughing epidemic that happened in Tanzania in 1963. And it was like a time of really great instability in the country. And there were a couple of girls who started laughing. They just like got a case of the giggles and then their friends joined in. And then two thirds of the school, of of the kids in the school were laughing and also crying uncontrollably. And the entire school had to be shut down. And then once they got home, the students infected their families, quote unquote. And there was this psychic contagion that spread throughout whole villages that were just consumed by hysterics. And it's just funny to think like laughing and dancing as being unable to stop being a problem because they sound like such, oh yeah, kind of to your point, when you're stressed, laughing or dancing sound like good ways to get on the other side of that. But Mm -hmm. being unable to stop and not knowing why and it's spreading from person to person is kind of creepy. It's horrible. I mean, it's like, but you can kind of see how it happened because like, think about like the Salem Witch Trials. They kind of compared that to this example of psychic contagion as well where like one girl starts having convulsions and fits and then other people Mm. pick up on it and start to mimic it as well yeah like how open a suggestion we are kind of yeah and just like how influenceable we are like impressionable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then i was looking at in italy because there's that phenomenon of the tarantella or tarantism people say that it's like a kind of hysterical behavior that is the result of being bitten by a wolf spider which is like Hmm. a class of tarantulas 
And they said that, like, if you are bitten by this wolf spider, you... Well, it's, 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 it's supposedly the Tarantella dance was a type of therapy. So, like, if you're bitten by this spider, the only way to, like, get the venom out of your blood was to dance to this particular music. <laughs> but it also was an example of dancing mania where, like, if someone thought they were bitten by a spider, they'd be like, oh, my God, I have to dance. I have to dance or I'll die, you know? And then yeah. they said that, like, other people would join in because they thought that they also were bitten or they would believe that, like, old bites would you know, start showing symptoms again, yeah. like come back. And so that was like a way to quote unquote heal the victim was like through dancing. That's hilarious and crazy. I know, it's just, it's just like, it's so interesting because you'd have to, I would, I'd be so curious to learn more about like what exactly was happening during that time that made these people so fearful and stressed out and you know like I'd be curious to see if it could like could you make it happen if you went to a certain kind of community and just started dance even if you had control over it but you acted like you didn't could you then get other people to not have control over it right or like could it happen today you know because they there's no scientific evidence that like being bitten by the spider has the effect of like making Mm -hmm. you dance or anything yeah I wonder how today would be different because I think we would just handle it we would react to it so differently yeah but like like, scientists would probably be like oh and like people would be like locked up differently I think yeah they have like a label for it yeah but still but like off at a boarding school in Tanzania I don't know yeah or like in a little sleepy town of Salem Massachusetts or a little village in Italy yeah I could see it yeah that was my research I thought it was very fascinating it is and I remember like you said we talked about it briefly before I don't even remember what book but it's still just like I don't really get it I know it but I don't get it I know and I'm always wondering like would I give into it like if all these people were dancing would I join in or would I be like whoa what's wrong with those people like I'm gonna go home and shut my windows yeah and I wonder what because there's probably you know like if it's just one person a lot of people are like oh man she's crazy but then at what point is it like oh no this is like a thing to do or like everyone's doing it I have to join in what a yeah feeling FOMO-ish almost or like being like oh I think I do hear the music that they're hearing or I don't know whatever it is laughing I kind of get more because I feel like if I hear other people laughing it makes me laugh that's contagious yeah yeah but dancing I don't really think of as contagious the same way (laughs) I agree but I'm not you know saying it couldn't happen because anything's possible yeah no it's just fascinating yeah so okay so we're gonna finish the rest of the book for next week Mm -hmm. what else do we have to do okay so any other predictions I think the year and the day is gonna end obviously I think someone's gonna get married (laughs) yeah someone's married I don't know who but someone's gonna get married I kind of think it's gonna be Jude and or Taryn or Jude as Taryn I like the idea of Jude and Cardin getting married, though, and having to deal with that. Yeah. And again, I think if they get married, it won't be like a romantic pairing, like, oh, yes, we're a couple now. Mm -hmm. It'll be like a total political move with issues. Absolutely. What else? Any other guesses? Mm, What else? Um, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen to Little Oak? I think he's still going to be alive. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) That would really throw a wrench into the plan. (laughs) Well, weren't they kind of talking to, I don't know, I don't think the undersea is going to kill him or anything. I kind of think of anything, but I can't imagine, that's where it's like, if he's really, if it's going to be seven years, I can't imagine like a seven year jump right now, but maybe there will be at some point. Mm. But I do kind of think he is going to not want to come back or not care about fairy. Like he's going to grow attached to the human world if he stays away. Mm. I don't know. Any other guesses? 
thoughts? No. We'll find out who betrayed her. Probably everyone. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't betrayed her at this point? I know, right? And to be fair, she's betrayed a lot of people back. It's funny when we read from the point of view of a character and we just, like, adopt their view of things. But it's like, actually, she's, like, killed people and, like, yeah. been really manipulative and lied and, like, could have gotten away and is kind of power hungry now. And I mean, like, she's not as bad as some of these characters for sure, but she's not all good. She's definitely growing more brutal as the book continues. I just don't want her to turn into Matic, though. That's, like, my fear. She already has in a lot of ways. Yeah. I guess I don't even see what her goal is in terms of something admirable. Like, I sort of, I feel like her goal is to put her brother in power when he's ready to be in power. But I sort of, like, so I think you said this last time or, me, or something, but it's like, why not just go back to the human world and, like, leave this all behind you? Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. I would say good riddance to all these horrible fairies. Yeah, there's, like, almost not a, I'd almost feel differently if her and her sister were still good and her sister wanted to stay there, that she'd, like, want to protect her or, like, make it safe for her. But, like, with the way things are with Taryn right now, I'm like, nope, just leave her behind i know i wouldn't even feel bad if she did it yeah i'd be like she deserves that yep well anyway she can leave too if she wants but yeah (laughs) do you want a joke for this week i would love one so i try to research fairy jokes as well okay Uh, and i have one well i have two but the second one's not a fairy joke (laughs) why is tinkerbell always flying around she's can't stand it anymore i don't know (laughs) because she lives in neverland (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's fair. <laughs> okay, um, what type of laundry detergent does the Little Mermaid use? I don't know. Tide. <laughs> I love the Little Mermaid. <laughs> That's dumb and funny. Oh, I actually, one of our fans sent me a joke this week. Should I save it for next week or tell you now? We'll save it for next week because then you have your joke already done. Okay, just remind me if I forget that I had one from a fan. Will do. All right. Cool. All right. Let's keep reading. Let's see what happens in this dark and twisty place. Oh, I didn't make any predictions about Cardin's mom. Oh. Something's going to happen with that, but I have no idea right now. Well, we'll find out why she's imprisoned in the tower for sure. Maybe that'll be how Jude betrays Cardin. Somehow he finds out that she's like with his mom and I don't know. Do you think this series will end with them together? I don't. I don't know. I kind of feel like we're supposed to want that. And so maybe. Do you though? I don't know. I sort of feel like nothing happy is ever going to happen in this place. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because we don't even know what type of ruler Oak's going to be. Like, he could be a crappy ruler, too. True. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what I want to happen. I, like I said, I think I just want you to get a brain and leave town. Or become queen of the fairies. Well, that would be way more exciting than book form. <laughs> but as her friend, I would be like, girl, leave this world behind. Get out while you can. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep reading and find out what happens. Sounds good. If anyone has participated in Dancing Mania, <laughs> please tell us all about what that experience was like. And you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. Get in touch. Is there anything else we do? I forget now. Mm, no, we don't have to read the next book or the back of the next book. So I think we're all set. Yeah. Okay. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. 
And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.